0: Vodka. 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 Vodka O'Clock. Hey, everyone. It's Amber Love of Vodka O'Clock Podcast from com. Now, it's been a while since we've had a traditional show where I'm interviewing somebody. We had a, an interview last week also with Joe Colton from G.I. Joe's The Finest fan Fan Club cosplay group. And uh, But before that, it was a stream of panels from conventions, and they were all so informative. So please go back and check through the archives to listen to all that good content. So if you enjoy that kind of uh, content and the show and the website, um, I've been really busy keeping things going, and we've got some new contributors to the website also, you can go to patreon.com slash amberunmasked to pledge as little as a dollar per week. So um, it would be really helpful. Everything's been going really well with the Patreon, and thanks to everybody who's already been kicking in for that. So today, uh, my guest is actually a dear old friend, one of the first in comics, and it's Sean Pryor. Welcome.
1: <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, you know what? I've, this has uh, been a long time coming, and, and I'm excited to be here, and I'm glad to hear that everything's going well with Vodka clock and, and congrats on your Patreon, too.
0: Thanks. Thank you so much. Yeah, so like, I think honestly, like, my foray into comics and going to conventions was back in like 2006. I think I met you in like 2007. Mm-hmm. So um, it's like you know you've been a compatriot of mine forever.
1: Yes, yeah, we go way back. You know, it's kind of funny how how like a lot of a lot of the folks that we all know how like comic geek speak kind of like brought us all together. It's this weird like seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. Um, but through Comic Geek Speak and um, all the connections and and all the friendships that, you know, that were brought about because of it, it's it's really amazing because who would ever think like back in 2007, 2008, that that one podcast would give us the opportunity to have all these friendships, and not only that, but think about all the people that are now doing stuff for, like, all the bigger publishers, when we would just see their artwork in the forum boards when they were just, like, te- doing test pages, and now these these are the same people that are working art-wise for other publishers, so it's kind of amazing.
0: It is, yeah, I mean, you know, like, our our friends, like Mike Norton, they, and, you know, they take off, and it's like, hey, you remember me? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's it's really it's it's really amazing that all this really just comes from one podcast and how that spun off other people doing podcasts and having podcast networks and and other types of creative venues and outlets and it's um like I said it's really I think people kind of underestimate how much of an influence back you know back then CGS really had.
0: It's true, and um, you know because you have been doing. Uh, Sean's Black Box mm-hmm. and been on other shows and you know, we've watched you evolve from having a, a table under your own banner for PKD Media and then you and Chad Siccone got together and kind of partnered up and then Dwanch came into the picture mm-hmm. good old Dick, and um, things grew and then we you know, got to see Action Lab be born and grow and it seems like it's a, it's a heavy hitter now
1: yeah, it is. I you know like it's funny. Like I haven't I haven't been with Action Lab since October of 2014. Um I I stepped away due to a few reasons so, like nothing against the nothing against the company at all. Like you know, I have no 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 beef or uh, harbor no hatred uh, to the Action Lab crew, um DeWanch and Chicone and and Gabby and and all the other good people there, you know, Jamal and, and Vito Delasante, you know, it's all good. Like, I have no, I have no beef with those cats at all. If, for me, it was a matter of just being really burned out and burned out to the point of where you get to the point where you just, you don't, you, you care, but you don't care. And that really became problematic for me because anytime I do something, I always want to make sure that I'm giving 100%. And that you could see how much I care when I'm doing something Now, granted all this work was administrative, um, you know, and in all the different roles I had during the time with, with Action Lab, whether it be president, vice president, director of digital management, you know, all the other stuff. Um, there was a lot of work to be done. And you just, I just really just hit this like tipping point where I just really thought I couldn't do it anymore. And and not only not only that, but the thing I really missed most about comics it was great that you know we were able to put a lot of people on and help them like get their start but at the same time I really I really missed making stuff like that's that's the whole reason why I got into this I wanted to make stuff um whether it be comics or other forms of media that's that's why that's why that's why I wanted to do this and so I just really needed to step away and kind of figure out where I wanted to go and What I wanted to do, and and you know, in a way, I'm still kind of searching, in in a way, but but I'm slowly getting back to what I know, I feel that I'm best at, and that's uh, creating and collaborating.
0: Right, and um, I know that that in this hiatus, that you know, you stepped you know back from Action Lab. But you also just took like a hiatus because you were off Facebook, and you know you were just taking a much-needed break. I know you had some like family issues; you needed to spend time with your family, and and um, so what? What was it like, you know, going from somebody who's so connected to a community to then just like unplugging Facebook?
1: Um, you know, I'll be honest with you um sometimes unplugging can be the best thing that ever happens to you you know we live you know we we live in an era now where like everybody just wants to put all their business out there every single day no matter how major no matter how small um but for me i just needed i needed time away from it just to clear my head because you know sometimes seeing like all these messages no matter what the intent of the message is whether it be positivity whether it be grumpiness whether it be over geekiness, um, anything, sometimes that's just too much stimuli and it just distracts you from the real world. And, you know, for me, like I said, my life has changed in a lot of ways and, um, you know, with, with deaths in the family and, and other personal things, I just really just felt, you know what, I need to go outside. <laughs> and, and by saying go outside, that means stepping away from the desk Going outside, doing stuff, being more social out in, you know, out in the world that I know, outside of my own door, as opposed to social media. Now, there's nothing wrong with social media because there, the, the positives of social media is that you get to meet people that you may have never had the opportunity to meet in your entire life and talk about things and, like, learn other viewpoints that can help you grow. Um, but there's also a lot of ignorance out on social media. And, yes, there's a lot of ignorance when you step outside. But, um, I just really just wanted to as simple of of an answer as it sounds. I just really just wanted to be outside for a while and be with my thoughts and, and talk with my family and talk with my with my friends locally and just um and just try to really figure out who I am, you know because sometimes you can do this comic book stuff and you as an individual can get really lost in it um so much so that like. Not saying that you forget who you are, but at the same time, you kind of try. I'm just I was trying to figure out, like, who am I? You know what I mean? Like, I know I'm a good dude. I feel I'm a good person. But what do I represent? What is it that I represent? And where is my heart in all this stuff? And who do I really who do I want to be? Who who am I and who do I truly want to be? And so. And, and so, and, and that's why I just had to, like, kind of, like, step outside for a while.
0: It was, um, I mean, you know, as, as somebody who only gets to see you, like, maybe once a year, so, <laughs> it, you know, from like, the friend perspective, uh, it was, I was, like, oh, no, I was sad. I'm, like, I'm not going to get to see Sean online. I understand why, mm-hmm. because I saw those emotions, you know, and I, I just felt for you, and then I was truly inspired because I know other people have, have done that break. they have either just deleted Facebook altogether or they've just taken a break for, you know, a week or a month or something. And you made this, like, big commitment and you came back, you know. You came back when you said you would. So I, you know, was going through you know, stress and life and, you know, mental health issues and stuff. So I've been staying uh, offline on a much more consistent basis. Mm-hmm. I'll do... Instead of being glued to it to the point where I was getting migraines from the scrolling of my phone or the scrolling of a, of a monitor, I, it's easier for me to just actually put it all down. And I can walk away to go have my meal instead of always having my meal in front of a device.
1: You will be amazed at, at how, and how much stress um, actually goes away when you take breaks from this stuff. Even like I said, like when you said you, you would go to go to eat some dinner and you would leave your phone or you would leave your um you wouldn't take your dinner to your computer, like the the amount of stress that that um is taken away from that um is amazing and it allows you to breathe. Because I think that's the one thing I think with social media a lot of people don't understand is is that like some people say, Look, you gotta be on social media all the time because you know, because of algorithms and because of these algorithms, people don't always you're, you know, your followers don't always see what you say and some of them won't go back to see what you said. So you kind of always have to be on. And even if you use stuff like TweetDeck or Hootsuite or whatever you use to program tweets, like I'm not really like for my account, I'm not really a programmable type dude. Like I just go in and type what I got to type and then I bounce. Um, and so um, and and so like, you know, like that constant presence like that becomes a job, you know what I mean? And so, and so like, you know, like I don't feel that it always has, that social media should always be a job, you know? And, and so like, like I said, stepping away, taking those moments to step away are always great. And you will be amazed at like the, your, I don't want to say like, you know, immediate improvement, but trust me, it changes everything.
0: Well, yeah, because you'll go through, like, withdrawal, just like with a drug or caffeine, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's remarkable because I went through a very similar experience, I, and it was back at nine eleven. I was watching the news constantly. Like, it was just always on, and I always had, like, I was in a different just place in my life where I, I always had that running, and I always had, like, my E-Trade running, and I just, there was just stuff, there was just always stuff in front of me and, you know, the doctor had told me, like, you got to just turn this off. And I'm like, okay. So I literally didn't watch news for a couple of years. Mm. And now, uh, since it's a, a different time and we have Twitter and I love Twitter, I get a lot of my news first from Twitter. And then I'll, you know, watch it on regular, like ABC or something like that. But it's something that you really just can get... Way too invested in, and when it's not your job, it's a sacrifice. You know, you you have to realize, especially with there's there's a lot of different issues. There's like, there's things that don't matter as much, like the nerd rage things that we go on about. But then there's things that matter, like you know, taking the Confederate flag down off of a building. You know, there's there are these different things that we get so invested in, and you have to realize, like, okay, well, what is the the, the cost and benefit analysis of this like what is the cost of my life and my health for this you know for me to be engaged at this level so um, it's it's definitely something that that I've done for clarity and yet I do feel like I'm missing things on the other hand, sometimes it's good for me to feel like I'm missing things like during this whole week of San Diego Comic Con I'm there I don't want to see other people's San Diego
1: <laughs> oh no no I get that I get it, and then I more than understand it. I mean, even I cut off, I cut off Twitter a few times over since since Thursday. I cut it off, you know, and like, I could say, for instance, um, I hopped back on yesterday for like 15 minutes just to see if anybody had tweeted at me because, like, you know, like the quote unquote courteous me is, like, well, you know, you shouldn't be rude, but at the same time, I'm like, look, man, you don't have to be responsible to every tweet that comes your way, and it can you can take a couple of days, um, but um. But normally during San Diego, especially this year, like I've tried my best to stay away from looking at all the tweets um, because like as a creator, as a creator, like um, it's a thing of, you know, I've heard many professionals say this and, and, and regular people too. And, and, and even though they say it, it's still very hard to follow this rule when you see like all these announcements of all these cats getting getting work and you look at the work that you've done. And you're just like, hmm, you know, you try to you try to figure out in your head. It's like, man, why can't I get to this spot here? Why can't I get to this spot here? And then you start comparing your career to other people's careers. And that becomes very toxic. And and, you know, and it's not fair to yourself. Um, And so, like, I was like, you know, what's best for me, what's best for me is just to turn all this off and, and, and not and not, you know, check anything out. And then maybe a couple of weeks later, you know, hop on. Do a Google search. Here's all the San Diego Comic-Con news. And so then when it's all settled, like, you know, I'm like, OK, well, whatever, whatever. You know, I still got to do me no matter what happens. And so, um, you know, hey, good on those people for getting jobs. And uh, but, yeah, like it's just it, it gets really toxic sometimes. And so for me, like it's like, you know, like we both said, sometimes it's just best to turn it off, even if we fall behind on things, you know. But think about it. Even back in the day before social media, weren't we really always
0: behind? Right. Yeah, I mean, it was, I, I was never living in a newsroom except for in college. So I, you know, I, I never had to be so in tune with the pulse of every single thing that it was a job for me. It's been um, something I did as just a, something I fulfilled in myself because I enjoyed it. And one of the key things that I know both of us agree on is, when you stop enjoying something, then it's time to walk away. And, you know, so like you were talking about making comics and making podcasts and stuff, when it's no longer fun, it's no longer fulfilling, then, you know, it's time to just take a step back and say, what What should my next step be? Should I keep doing the the pattern because it's comfortable even though I'm not happy? Or should I try something new. That's why, like, it's strange to be a creative person and have, I feel like I have no focus, even though I do when I'm, do, when I'm working on something. But, like, I can, you know, I can write a novel, or I can write comics, or I can make podcasts, or I can make costumes. Like, I'm just kind of all over the place. Oh, but
1: no, but know. that's okay. That's okay. Because the whole thing about it is, is that, you know, we are all more than one thing. You know, and I think that's one of the biggest problems with like the comic book business sometimes is that it tries to pigeonhole people into saying you're just a writer. No, you're just a penciler. No, you're just an inker. No, you're just a colorist. No, you're just a letterer. No, you're just an editor. You know what I mean? Like it it tries to really just pigeonhole people and put them in a a compartment or slot because that's what that that makes that other person comfortable. Excuse me. Because they can just like you know categorize all these folk, and but the whole thing about it is is that I think it's better to be versatile because you know you know it, it keeps you it keeps you at your best, and it also opens up other creative parts of your soul, and you end up then making things that you probably didn't think you could ever do um so like it's always good to be more than one thing and I remember I remember tweeting that. Um, a couple of, a couple of months ago, it's like, you know, I, I do this and I do this and I've tried this and I've been part of this and, and all these other things. It's not bragging. It's, it has nothing to do with that at all. It's more of a thing of understanding that, you know, I I want people to know I'm more than one thing and so are they, you you know? And, um, so like, it's not that it's like a lack of focus, you know what I mean? Yeah, we can, we can write down and say, okay, you know, today I'm going to work on the novel. Tomorrow, let me tomorrow. I want to work on some um, some costume design, some cosplay design. Uh, You know, next week I'm going to focus on the comic stuff. So it's not really, you know, lack of focus at all. It's just that, you know, it's being multi-talented and being able to recognize what comes first for, you know, for you and for whoever else. What comes first and then saying, okay, this is what I'm going to work on this. And then this is what I'm going to move to this. And it, you know, it doesn't make anybody any more powerful or any less powerful, but when we when people try to force us into being one thing, that's when like I it it, it like it bobs it bothers me because people just love basic generalizations and general perceptions of others. And I just really think that it makes us less of a person.
0: I think that's something uh very clear to see when it comes to actors because you know, it's like, are you going to really play Captain Kirk forever? You know, that sort of thing. You know, or, or, can you can you look at Mark Hamill in something that's not Star Wars or the Joker and, and, and see him as a character? Or do you just only see Mark Hamill, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, like, you know, the perfect example, another perfect example is Steve Urkel. Jaleel White. I mean, like, people still call him Steve Urkel. His real name is Jaleel White, and he's actually a pretty good actor, but to this day, it's, it's you know, people are still like, it's all Steve Urkel all the time.
0: That's so funny, because um, I, I hadn't watched that show, and, I mean, like, I kind of knew who Urkel was, because he's basically, like, you know, a meme in his own way, and, uh, but on Psych, he's appeared on a couple episodes of Psych, mm-hmm. part of uh, an cappella group with, with, Gus, the character by Hill. So, you know, and here I'm just like, wow, you know, who are these cute guys and everything? And I, I thought the name sounded kind of familiar. I'm like, wait, who, who is this, who is this person? And my mom told me she's like, that's that, you know, Urkel. I'm like, oh no way, he's all grown up and handsome and, t- and singing and. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh yeah, no, he's he's a talented individual, and he's had a, and he had a few other shows after Family Matters went away, and, and none of those shows were actually successful. But um, but you know he's he's constantly been involved in stuff. Like I was a big Psych fan, so seeing him and Keenan Thompson together with Dule Hill and uh, James Rode, I thought was hilarious. Um, but no, but no, that's the whole thing. It's just like when people just think you're just this. It really stunts that person, and also stunts, it also um, you know, stunts the growth of the person that's constantly saying it.
0: Yeah, and you know, when it comes to writing and uh, and creating any kind of art, there's sort of like this pushback against you when you do try to change. Like when rock and roll stars want to put out a country album, you know, or or like Angelina Jolie takes on all of these. Um, yeah causes, and people still you know, talk about her cup size, or, you know, like, it's, it's a forgetting that people are people.
1: Yes, yes. No, you're absolutely right. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's problematic, and, you know, and I keep hoping that one day we as a people will learn, but um, I, I, sometimes I really doubt it. Some people will, but not all.
0: So where did you get all of this wisdom and, and insight about yourself?
1: Um, Hmm. how can I say this? You know what? Um, to be honest, like, you know, therapy has been one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me in my entire life. I haven't gone front. You know, you know, some people say, well, you know, I took a long journey and I took a long walk and I found this mountain. No, it wasn't none of that. <laughs> I, um, I just really felt that I had to talk to someone. So I just decided to um, start seeing a the therapist and, um, you know, get my feelings out there to try to get a better understanding of who I am. You know what I mean? And because like a lot of times when you say the words therapy, people think you're, you know, quote unquote, not all there. But that's not that's not that's not the truth. The whole truth of the matter is that sometimes you need to talk to somebody to get to get one, get your feelings out there to get a better understanding of who you are. And three, learn what helps you, what enables you and what hurts you. And and like it's trust me, it's for me, it's like been the best thing ever. You know what I mean? Like, like, you know, the thing is, like I I have I have a regular nine to five job that has, you know, decent health care so I can I can get therapy. You know, what I mean, like a lot of people that work in comics, they don't have health care. You know, I mean, like I'm sure like upper upper level management and most editors do. But, you know, how many creatives have health care? You know, and like for me, I think everybody needs therapy. And that's not a knock on every, on knock on anybody at all. That's not a knock on everyone. I mean, it's just one of these things. I just think it really helps. You know, I just think it really helps.
0: Yeah, and I think that's, um, you know, healthcare in itself is such a like a corrupt system, and uh, you know, mental health is not understood as being part of healthcare. I mean, even if you do get coverage, you'll be lucky if they'll cover something like twelve visits. Mm-hmm. And okay, for something to like properly work. I just can't imagine once a month seeing somebody for, like, I just, I, I just don't see how that's enough. I can I could see if that was enough if you got to that point, but you need to, it's a relationship with a doctor or a social worker or whoever, the, you know, whatever the person's credentials are, it could be, you know, a guru. I mean, you, you need to build a relationship, and I don't think that that's something that you can do, like, once every four weeks. Oh, no, no, I, I agree <laughs> with you so it's something oh well but that's what our insurance system is like Mm -hmm. no i know trust me like
1: i i said where where i work i consider myself very lucky you know i can i consider myself very lucky and grateful so yeah i can see i can see a therapist you know once every other week or once a week if need be and you know and be able to take care of it um you know because a lot of people can't do that and i'm not saying that like you know like I'm I'm uber rich because I'm not like you know it's just where I live, you know for for what I make that money actually stretches very far. So and because the health insurance I have is like yeah you know you you can go see your therapist, you know as many times as you need to, but you just need to pay this copay. And I'm like okay that's fine, you know so I, <clears throat> I consider myself to be very lucky and I'm very thankful for that and like I said it's it's been a blessing because. Like without honestly without without therapy, I probably would have smacked some comic professionals by now.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, everybody gets to that point.
1: Yes. Yes. So no, it's been a good it's been a good thing for me and honestly that's what's helped me most. And you know, like I said, I, shoot, I still have days that like I, I struggle. And it's not like it's anything like severely you know, severely like um you know, threatening, but you know, you know, we as, as human beings we all struggle with confidence even when we are at our most confident we struggle with you know how to deal with success if it actually comes we struggle with oh this is a really low point right now in my creative career how do I deal with this and how do I not look at everybody else's success and judge it um in and like and compare it to where I'm at right now and things like that and 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 like I said therapy's helped me through that and like I and I still have moments where I'm just like you know what I really don't think that the, that I want to be a part of this because I don't feel, you know, accepted. And I'm not saying this from, like, an Action Lab perspective. I'm just talking about the business as a whole. You know, I know I'm a very outspoken person, but the thing is, a lot of the things that I've talked about over the years, it's not stuff that isn't true, you know? Um, but, like, a lot of people are like, man, you're really outspoken, and, like, editors don't like that type of stuff, and they think – you know, they think that you're going at them, and I'm like, no, I'm just trying to tell you about the true problems of the business. You know, that minority that minorities face, and um, you know, a lot of people don't like hearing what I have to say. But the thing is, is that if these problems didn't exist, I wouldn't say them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. A lot of women, obviously, you know, get that kind of flack too. It's a you know, intersectional, cross sectional problems that that we see. Um, you know, whether it's getting Better LGBT incorporation into mainstream books, or on the staff end, getting you know more minorities hired. You know that's always uh, an issue. I mean, some of the some of the publishers, I'll I sort of it's own, my own internal guilt. Obviously, it's not something that anybody puts on me, but I'll be enjoying a title and I'll go look up more information about the publisher and I'll see that they have no women. At all on their staff. None. They could have a staff of 20 people. Still no women on it. And I don't even understand how that's possible. How do they not look around the room and notice that? And like, do they go home every day and never see women at home? And, you know, or do they just think like, oh, that's their time to just be the guy. So, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you have you know, you have all different perspectives because you've had different sort of levels of, in the creative process as well, and, you know, and I know you because you're a, a real family man, so, uh, you know, it's like, oh, I wonder if somebody like Sean has a different kind of pressure or guilt in, to succeed and stuff like that because you have to be the dad and... You know, at the same time, when you're in an executive position or a creative position, you know, making comics, you have to be there for the entire team. So it's another team you have to feel responsible for. So it's like, what, what sort of those uh, hurdles do you actually go through um, as?
1: You know? Hmm. you know, I actually I go through a lot of that, and some and some of that and some of that stuff. Like I take I take to heart like heavily. And, you know, but the thing is, like, for me, my biggest issue, biggest problem is, is that, like, I try to solve all the problems as far as, like, you know, minorities and women have in comics. I'm like, you know what, like, let, let me just put all this on my shoulders and I, I'm going to take it on. And and realistically, one person can't do it. Um, You know, and like, like I said, these are still things I talk about. You know, they, I talk about them heavily. Um. But, like, for me, like, say, for instance, during my time with Action Lab, it was more of an issue of, okay, like, I didn't really have that much of a collective say in the, um, in the, quote, unquote, screening or submissions process. But I would still be out and about um, if I was, like, an you know, all-in-the-Internet, if I was out and about, like, I would see, you know, various creators, you know, you know men, women, uh, you know, people of color, and if, like, I saw something, like, on a Tumblr page or on a deviant art page i'm like wow that looks really impressive yo let me hit up dave and let him know about this um and if they reached out to you know, if they reached out to said creator i'm like well regardless of what happens at least that's a start and so like you know i know i didn't i didn't like you know give myself a pat on the back or anything because you know they, like i said there's just still so much work that you know that needs to be done Um you know but like i i take that stuff to i really take that stuff to heart and even to the point where with um you know you know we we'll, and we'll get to cash and carry later um it was an issue of a lot of things like i wanted to create a book that had you know minority leads um also youthful minority leads because also with like a lot of the you know books for the youth normally you don't see like blacks or, you know, or like, you know, or or folks of Latin descent as, you know, leads at all. You know, normally the books are pretty white. And so um, I was like, you know, let's let's try to let's try to do something to, like, change that a bit. Um, And then creative wise, you know, I never really had the opportunity to work or create books, because like, you know, a lot of the books I created back in the day, the PKD media stuff, it's like, yeah, it was with friends, it was like, hey, let's make some cool stuff, let's have some fun, and we did, we had fun, and it was cool, um, you know, and the one book that went through Action Lab, which was a, uh, originally a PKD media book, but um, when we formed Action Lab, we just said, let's just turn X01, The Rock Solid Steel Bots, into a graphic novel, you know, and I got to work with my friends again, I got to work with Daniel J. Logan, and I got to work with Adam Bezignotti, and, but then I, I really, when I really looked at it, and I looked at all the PKD media stuff and I looked at my one book with Action Lab. I was like, man. I was like, I worked with a lot of dudes. And I said, you know, I was like, and there's nothing wrong with that, because like they were my friends, but then I look at the business as a whole and I'm like, and I don't see like, you know I know like with the major publishers, there's a couple of ladies, you know, doing well. But I was like, man, I was like, I, I wanna do something. I want I wanna I was like, I need to like change the way I- I've done things, you know what I mean? So so, like, when, I, when we made Cash and Carry, like, I knew a local artist here by the name of Penny Candy Studios, and she's incredible. Like, I really feel her artwork is on par with some of the stuff you see on Cartoon Network. And I was just like, you know, why is nobody working with you? So, you know, I was like, I, so I told her about this project. She wanted to be a part of it. And I, I had known for, like, years um, via Twitter because of Twitter. Like, I knew her for years because of Twitter. And so I knew she wrote books. And so I just reached out to her. I said, I have this, this project. Would you be interested? She's like, yeah. And so so like Cash and Carry was one of those things where it's like, yeah, I was able to finally, you know, I feel like put my money where my mouth is as far as really starting to look at the issues of, you know, minorities, you know, because and, and, women are a minority, too, um, working together in comics. And, you know, and and then after that, there's going to be a couple other books out where there'll be some all black creative teams. There'll be some books and, you know, there'll be some books where, you know, I get to work with black women, which I'm so excited about because there's black women that love comics. that want to be a part of it. And I want to do something there. But then, yeah, I'm going to have some books where I work with my friends, you know, and I might be might be a couple white dudes, you know, but like I know how talented they are and I want to and I want to work with them too. But like my biggest challenge is and it's something that like I'm really trying to deal with now is balancing out the creative balancing out the creative ratio in the books that I have a hand in. Because like you don't really see Marvel doing that. You know, and I know I I don't have Marvel money. I don't have you know, massive budgets or anything like that. But, like, you look at that all-new, all-different Marvel, 45 titles, not one black writer. You mean to tell me, like, yeah, you know, when y'all do that the second wave of books, y'all gonna get Felipe Smith a book. But, still, 45 titles and, like, y'all couldn't find one black person to write one book? Right. Yeah, I know. It
0: was, um... You know, I hated to see when things got, you know, torrented and leaked or whatever and end up on Bleeding Cool or what have you. But at the same time, people jumped on it immediately and analyzed that list. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, people found a lot of issues so.
1: Yeah, Yeah. And then, like, you know, and I did, too. Like, the thing is, like, I was happy. I was happy for, like, a lot of, a lot of the people. Like, you know, Tom King. I was real happy for Tom. I'm glad Tom got, vis- got the vision book. Like, Tom's getting a lot of work now. You know, he's just, like, come up out of nowhere. Um, you know, Brent Schoonover, a former, like, you know, one of the CGS alums, he's doing he's doing a book for Marvel now, too. And that's great. You know what I mean? It's like, so. I think sometimes people get my words twisted, and they just think, oh, you know, you feel that no white folks should ever work on comics again. I'm like, no. No. I'm just asking for a little bit of equality. You know, that's what I'm and looking that, for. Sorry, go ahead.
0: I No, I, I think that that's... Um a problem with, like you said, getting people to actually understand what you are saying. And uh, it was just this morning when I saw on on Twitter Sue from DC Women Kicking Ass saying she was uh, she was talking about a very specific book, whatever the latest raging thing is that people are going on about. And she's I never once told people to boycott this. All I said was take a look at it. This is what I think. I have problems with it, and d c you should too. you know. And somehow people twist that into you hate everything, and you're saying that this should be pulled off shelves. And it's like, where? Where did you say that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so many things easily get lost in the context. and And people then take somebody else's words and then formulate them in their heads as something else completely different. And see, and that's like one of the problems with social media, like all the great things that social media can do. Social media can like one person could take someone else's statement and twist it and turn it viral and just jack up everything.
0: Right. Right. And I'm you know, I'm no longer a a fan of Adam Baldwin, but I I've actually seen it happen to him in one case where people said that he said something. And I I went through his feed and never saw what people were claiming he said. (laughs) Okay, right. this is one time this is going to be the o- maybe the only time where i say you know check your facts regarding him because uh otherwise he's you know he's kind of bonkers out there with uh with some things but um so yeah it's definitely something that we go through and you know you've been talking about cash and carry and that's the latest project that um that you're working on you've got penny who's doing art uh, is it julie
1: yeah julie yes yes
0: julie Speziani is, is writing it and, um, it, you know, one of the things that I would normally ask anybody is, are there characters that you can relate to? And in your case, you're already saying, you know, there is sometimes, they're in the background, so not really, you know, and you wanted to make something. So how did you, um, you know, looking at the credits, Julie's the writer and Penny's the artist, and but yet yeah, you're one of the co-creators here. So... What exactly is the dynamic of how you're creating this um, this great? It's, it's a like very young reader book. You, if you guys like things like Scooby Doo and Goosebumps and Teen Titans Go, you know even Lumberjanes, this is this will be the kind of thing that you want to look for. So, how exactly does your team work together?
1: Um, it's like this. Like um, I like the concept for Cash Carry. had been sitting in a folder for like almost five years, and um, and the way it, the way it went down for this book is that I went to both of them, we had like, we had a few Skype meetings, and, and we would talk, and I would say, look, this is the concept I have for Cash and Carrie, um, this is who they are, this is what they like, this is what Cash likes, this is what Carrie, this is what I, um, Dallas Cash likes, this is what Inez Carrie likes, um, and I basically just gave them like a spiel, and then I went, and then I was like, you know what, I was like, this is wh- what I think the book should be, but I want to know what the two of you think the book should be and how the characters should act. And like, let me let me hear let me hear your pitch on this, Um, because they are heavily involved. Like they actually also have a percentage of ownership because, um, you know, if they're going to if they're going to contribute their time to this project, I have to give them a percentage of ownership. So that in itself now makes their contribution more valuable. Because they own a piece of it, and because they own a piece of it, they want it to be the best it can be. And so, um, so what ended up happening was was that um, like I said I gave my spiel, and then you know we finished the call. But then Julie went and thought of some stories um, that would probably fit for um, the first book, and then and then Penny, I just let Penny run. We let Penny r- run free. To, like, just basically come up with, you know, concept artwork. So, like, in her mind, what would these characters look like? Because that was the one thing I didn't I didn't do. Like, I didn't say, Penny, you know, this character has to look like this. You know, Cash has to look like this. Carrie has to look like this. No. Like, she just ran with it. And, and then one day she sends me and Julie this, like, promotional image. And it's Cash and Carrie standing side by side. And... With and without even like batting my eye, I was like, "That's it." I was like, "That that is it." Like it was perfect, and, and it was like that moment. That's when I knew I was like, "Yeah, this is gonna this is going to be a ton of fun," and I am working with the right people. And then Julie presented a story. Um, she was like, "You know, let's do the story about like you know they have to go solve a crime, you know, an issue of missing mascot for their rival school," and she was just like, "You know." She broke down how, because I, I said Dallas Cash loves technology. She broke down all the things that he carries with him, you know, and the things that he likes to use when he solves crimes. And, and, he, and she also specified how Dallas Cash is kind of like, he's kind of like, you know, kind of like, um, like a, I guess, fox molder um, for X Files. Like, you know, he believes in all the supernatural stuff, even though he has all this technology and stuff to, like, really give hard, cold facts. He still believes in the supernatural, whereas with Carrie with Inez Carrie, she's you know she's more like, nah, you know, there's no such thing as a supernatural, you know, everything happens for a reason, and we're going to get down to the absolute truth, and so like they are real personalities, like she really helped develop the personalities of these characters, so so from there, I just serve as an editor, you know I, I serve as more of an editor slash co-creator, and if I say, "You know what, maybe we should take a look at." adding this here or putting this in here. I really don't get too, too involved because I don't want to get to the point where I get over involved and the story gets ruined because that's what like a lot of editors do sometimes. Like they get too over involved because they're over concerned about, about like their job and their title. And it gets to a point where a book becomes bad because of it. So, you know, so they had creative flexibility but if I did see an actual legitimate problem I would bring it up and I think because of that we have a good book.
0: So when it came to, you were talking about specific details of these characters uh, Dallas Cash and Inez Carey, one of the things that struck me was that you have Inez as um, a wrestling star not something that normally girls get to do in school. In my school, it was interesting because um, I used to just spend some time in the weight room at the end of the day and stuff, and there was another girl in there, and she was kind of a thick, you know, beefy athletic girl who, I don't remember if she transferred in or or what happened, but her father, she grew up with a father who was a wrestling coach. Mm -hmm. So she couldn't wrestle, and they wouldn't let her in our school. And um, you know, I think wrestling is probably even harder of an argument to make than when girls want to play football. So how, um, how did you decide that it was going to be wrestling and not something like soccer or basketball that Inez was going to uh, be a great star in?
1: That was That was all Julie and Penny. It was, that was their idea. And when they, when they said it, I was all for it. You know what I mean? Because, like, yeah, look, the world, the world is ever-changing, and there are you know I know right now there are a few schools out there that do allow you know that do allow girls to wrestle and, and like maybe in like smaller colleges they allow women to wrestle maybe I don't I'm not hundred percent sure but um you know times are changing and and the thing is is that we want to show we don't want to give like generic progression we actually want to show legitimate progression and how you know and like and let and let you know young girls know that hey you can do a lot of the stuff these boys do you know what i mean and, and i think her being able to be like you know part of the wrestling team i think she's captain of the wrestling team if i'm not mistaken um her being a part of that it just it's really it's different it's different and it might make it might make a kid say well i didn't know girls could do that you know what i mean like it's cool to question stuff and and like even something as simple as just saying she's captain of the wrestling team if it opens up a kid's mind, hell, hell, if it opens up an adult's mind and say, huh, that's really cool, then we're doing something right. And so I'm glad that Julie and Penny was like, yeah, let's make her captain. Let's, let's make her part of the wrestling team. I thought that was great.
0: Yeah, it harkens back to the early days of uh, Justice League of America when Wonder Woman, by default, when she joined, she was the secretary. Like, she never went out and, like, did anything.
1: Yeah, that's weird.
0: Yeah, from her own book where she fought monsters.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's like you know, you know, I have a, I have a solid resume. You, you know, you've seen all these things I've done, right? Oh no, that's cool. Won't you take notes and make me a sandwich?
0: Really? Yeah, yeah. So you know, and uh, you know, we just saw. um, I don't know if you've seen. I haven't watched the trailer that everybody's talking about the Batman versus Superman trailer. Um, But I did see that people had. Done screen captures of just Wonder Woman's <laughs> scenes,
1: <laughs> yeah it, uh, I'm glad I'm
0: so excited because she she looks amazing
1: yes, she does gal you know, well gal Gadot is amazing, and like the work she's put in to like you know prepare for this role is great, um, you know, and I know like a lot of people like the amount of saltiness right now um regarding people and their feelings about um if when you get to watch the trailer, you'll see, but like my friend my friend Joey says it best. You haven't heard real hand wringing until you have heard Angry Nerd Ma and Pa Kent hand ringing, um, and you'll see it. You and you'll see it when you hear the line that Diane Lane says, and I love Diane Lane. I love her so much. Anyway, um, you know, like I've always, I had issues with Man of Steel, but I, just, I really just don't think the third act is any good. But um, that trailer, I liked the trailer. It was cool. It, you know, it, it it was it was cool. I'm not a big Zack Snyder fan at all. But I thought the trailer was cool and it was cool to see, you know, Wonder Woman actually doing something. You know what I mean? That that for me, that was like, oh, hey, that you know what, man, folks have been waiting for this for how many decades? Cool. I, it, it's happening now. Um, and I hope it's more than just um, a five minute appearance for Wonder Woman. You know, but um, from what it from what it looks like, this definitely looks like a quote unquote Trinity film, hopefully.
0: Well, hopefully they just won't put her name on it, you know. Oh. But
1: <laughs> of course not, because that might scare the boys, which is so, which is so stupid. So stupid. Well,
0: they couldn't call that, a, you know, Supergirl uh, animated. They couldn't actually call it Supergirl like it was on the book. They had to call it Apocalypse. Yeah. You know.
1: Yeah. So so weird. So weird.
0: But so um, you know, part of the inequality that we have talking about female Creators, minority creators, and actors, and, you know, leading characters and stuff, people will argue about things like budgets. And we just saw the fantastic women's soccer team, you know, win the World Cup, and they make $2 million as winners, whereas the losing men's team makes something like um, like $20 million or $30 million. I think,
1: I think it was like $8 million depending on, like, the round they lost in. Because they lost early. They lost out early, so I think they made, like, eight to ten, I think.
0: It was, like, a crazy disparity and stuff like that. And so, you know, I, I've i heard people like Colleen Duran talk about unequal pay in comics and unequal credit. Um, so, hopefully things are changing and everything, but you know, you you talk how hey, you want to give both Julie and Penny ownership. You know, they get part ownership, and they're getting. Um, now, this was kickstarted, right? Yeah, we
1: did kickstart. We did kickstart this book. See, the whole thing about it was was that um, like how it all happened was originally, we put the book together, and I wasn't going to do any conventions this year. I wasn't like I was really burned out on it, and I was just like, man, don't nobody really care if I'm out here. So what am I doing? And that's how I really felt. And that's how I really felt. But I remembered I paid for a table. I paid for a table the previous year. I paid for a table for a 2015 show in Dayton, Ohio. I was like, well, I was like, I got to go. I was like, you know, I was like, I-, I paid for this table. I'm not wasting my money. Let's. It's, it's back in my old stomping ground. So we're going to go. But I was like, man, I don't have any books. And I was like, no, I do. I got my OP. I still have like a box of like PKD media stuff. I was like, you still got those. You yeah, I was like, just just put them out there, you know, because like the longest time, like I really felt ashamed of that stuff. Um, and I shouldn't have, you know what I mean? Like, because that's where it all started for me. And that's where like the love for making comics really came from, you know. And I was like, no, you should never be ashamed of, of that, because that got you to the part you were with Action Lab. And, you know, so like, don't don't be ashamed of that. So I was like, okay, yeah, we'll put that stuff out there. I was like, but, you know, we need something else, though. So at the last minute, I printed out 25 copies of, like, a basically, like, it was, like a, it was a real, like, base-level edition of Cash and Carry, where it just had the 12-page story and, like, 4 pinups pin-ups and the cover. I was like, you know what? I was like, well, let's let's print this out. Let's see what happens. So I go to the show. I put the books out. I put, like, all, like, 25 copies of Cash and Carry out there. And all 25 copies were essentially gone after the first day.
0: That's wonderful. Yes,
1: yes. And it was that moment. And the thing was, the cool thing about it was, like, and then people were buying the PKD Media stuff, too. I was like, wow. So, like, I literally have no more PKD Media books left at all. Uh, and I doubt I will ever reprint, reprint those. And if I do, it will be, be something a little bit different. But anyway, um, it was a thing of after all those cash and carry copies went away, I went to Facebook, I went to Twitter, and I said, listen, because I had people, like, emailing me, tweeting at me, Facebook messaging me, and they were like, um, hey, where can I get a copy? Can I get a copy? How can I get a copy? And instead of, and I told them, I was like, look, instead of just printing off 25 at a time and asking people, hey, who wants one? If I do a Kickstarter, would y'all support it? And people were like, yeah. So, so then when we decided to do the, kick, do the Kickstarter version, we said, well, let's do something a little different. Let's give the people who donate to the Kickstarter or pledge the Kickstarter something that they're not going to be able to get like when this book comes out via digital retail. And I said, you know, we'll give them a bonus four page story, we'll give them some more pinups, and uh and so they'll have a bigger, thicker book. And so what ended up happening was is that like the convention version of Cash and Carry that I that I had was a twenty page book including covers. The new book for the Kickstarter ended up being including covers 32 pages with a 12 page story, a bonus four page story, which introduces a new character um, and like a ton of pinups because people were just coming out of the blue with, hey, I really think this is cool. Here's a pinup. Can you use it? And I'm like, yeah, I, I, thank you. You know what I mean? It's I, I never really for me. I've never seen anything like that before. But you know, because this isn't a Marvel property, this isn't a DC property, this isn't part of Boom, this isn't part of IDW, this isn't part of Image. You know what I mean? It's it, you know, you know, it's not part of Dark Horse. You know what I mean? It's just it was something independent. And um and to have so many people just say, hey, you know, I'm willing to ride for this, take this pen up. I was really really humbled and, uh, you know, and it kind of got me a little teary eyed. So so yeah. So yeah, so that's, hopefully I answered the question, because sometimes I get so deep in my thoughts, I'm like, did I
0: answer this question? Yeah, no, I was wondering what, you know, what brought you to Kickstarter, um, you know, and that, you know, you found success and everything. Was this your first time with Kickstarter? Oh, no,
1: no, actually, it's, it's well, it's the first time for me, per se, but, like, I did the original Kickstarter for Action Lab, um, like, five years ago, the, uh, the Kickstarter for um, Fracture, which helped give the company seed money. Okay. And uh, I did I did that. I ran that Kickstarter. Now, and this is when Kickstarter was still in its embryonic stage. And so we had, asked, I had set it up and gave, and I showed, the, I showed the team, there's the Kickstarter plan. And they were like, well, huh? put these tiers in at these prices and do this and do this. And we were asking for $3,600. And I set the, the time limit for 75 days. Now you do that nowadays. There's no way you can have a Kickstarter for 75 days. No way, no.
0: Yeah, you, usually um, is that. Oh yeah,
1: they normally brush that off. So, but we I mean, we made it. Like we got like I think like 4,300 dollars, and it, but it took 75 days to get four thousand three hundred dollars. But um, but with this one, with this with, with this like times have changed. Kickstarter has changed. You know, I, I think I followed I followed you know Kickstarters. Trends pretty well, and, um, and knowing a little bit more about comics than I did back then, I was like, let's do it for 40 days, let's do $3,600, and let's see what happens. And then when it was all said and done, $9,000 later, um, the turnout was once again, I didn't, I just didn't expect it. I didn't. And, uh, and, I, and a lot of, and a lot of that I have to thank, um, at Miss Carmel Vixen for, she runs VixenVarsity.com and BlackComicsMonth.com. She's, like, one of my biggest supporters. Like, she was the one that got me in touch with, like, you know, the Mary Sue. She's the one that got me in touch with uh, Caitlin Rosberg from uh, the Onions AV Club. She got me in touch with um, the lovely people from Panels.net. All these people, like, mentioned the project, and, like, I let them, like, see, like, the base review copy and stuff like that, and they loved it. You know, like, and I, I made a statement, and this was before the Mary Sue got on board, but I made the statement that the first in the first seven days, that Kickstarter was seventy-five percent funded without one mention from CBR, newsorama Bleeding Cool, like all the quote unquote comic book websites, the and the Mary Sue. You know. And so, and so I'm like, and that's the and that's the whole thing. Like I this whole project, I wasn't even trying to really fool with the comic book sites, but the ones that, but the sites that did care and wanted to talk about it, I was like, yeah, come on down. I'm here. I'm here. Come on down.
0: So yeah, yeah. It's um, it, it's interesting when things that were thought of as a secondary or niche, you know, they had to find their their own outlet and their own support system and everything. Was, you know, some grassroots version. And some othered category, some othered publisher, and now it's like kind of uh, uh, kind of a badge of honor, you know, in a way. Like when you see your independent friends that are creators, and they they just they make it happen. Like Danielle Corsetto, she was like, "I'm just not going to play by their rules. I want my own rules." Yeah. <laughs> it just goes and does it. So it's you know, it's, it's a wild thing, and it's the success is something, obviously, you know, like you were t- saying earlier, that we, we sort of get stuck in our own heads comparing success levels and where we are and everything. And it's really, really hard to, um, for me anyway, it's hard for me to not get hung up into those comparisons. You know, I'm like, but I went to, you know, a similar school and I studied the same major and I started 10 years earlier and, you know, all this stuff. And it's, um. You know, sometimes you just have to say, okay, this is life, but this is what my life is, mm. <laughs> this is not what my life is, and, you know, and just try to accept certain things and say, okay, well, what can I do? And, you know, when you find the right new blogs, and there's always new pop culture blogs, popping up every week there's another pop culture blog and podcast starting, so, um, you know, sometimes you just, you never know which ones are actually going to make it. You know, years ago, I was writing for a Girls Entertainment Network, who hasn't been heard from, you know, they... They just, like, fell apart, and they're trying to rebrand, and, you know, it's just, these things happen.
1: Wow. I didn't, man, I, I Amber, I forgot the Girls Entertainment Network was a thing.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, because they, they disappeared. Like, they was one of those things where they had, like, legal issues trying to um, get ownership of the name. Oh. Well, uh, who started it, Becky. So, um, so, like, there was, like, a split amongst, like... People personally and then professionally, and they like she actually couldn't own the name of something she started, you know. Mm. Which uh, it's one of those things that happens. It's sort of like when uh, you know, like Jamal Eigel, our friend, you know, when he launched Molly Danger, he waited. He waited until he could launch it his own way and have ownership of it. Because if he had launched it under DC, they would own it. So
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff. stuff is such a slippery slope. I mean. And that's the whole other thing, too. Uh, sometimes I think people think, well, if you wrote a book for Marvel, if you wrote a book for DC, or if you drew a book for Marvel, if you drew a book for DC, that means you've made it. Not really. You know what I mean? It, 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 it takes having more than just one opportunity to make a career. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, a friend of mine's a, a wonderful anchor. He's a great penciler and anchor, too. And, and he's a whole storyteller because he does his own independent books. Uh, he does every step of it. And uh, so Mark Stegbauer, you know, but he'll, he's one of these guys, he's like, you know, I've worked for the big two, and it was 15 years ago, and now I'm still like a struggling indie guy. Like, what happened? And, you know, it's a different political environment, I think, with comics. You know, so even if people are friends, they can't always only hire friends, or they, some of the hires might feel like, um, some sort of political statement. Like it's ridiculous to me. There was Vanity Fair just did an absolutely brilliant um, feature on Kelly Sue DeConnick,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you know she's one of these people that people had criticized her for. Like, oh well, she only got a job because she was married to Matt Fraction or something like that. And it's like, do you even know her history? Like, do you even know? <laughs> <laughs> like they met on message board systems and. You know, they came up together. Like, it was one of those things. They kept, she was working in manga for, like, 15 years. Shut the hell up, you know?
1: Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's... STI stuff is just really complicated. See, but it, it's complicated when people don't know the history. You know what I mean? And they just see the end result, you know? And so it, it makes it really... It, it, just, it makes it a hot mess, you know what I mean? Like, hey, no one should ever discount Kelly Sue DeConnick's work at all. You know, You know what I mean? Like, you can't discount it. Like, hell, some of her works have been better than Matt Fraction's, so people need to stop playing.
0: Um, I like her a lot better than his. I don't, I don't generally like his titles.
1: Yeah, you know, so, so yeah, it's, um, it's, like I said, it's just all, it's, but see, these issues happen because the game is so jacked up. You know what I mean? People say, like, and some people just say those things out of jealousy. But, but some people just say, "Well, what, what, wait a minute. So, how does she have work with Marvel? Well, at the time, you know, how does she have work with Marvel when so and so doesn't have work with Marvel?" And then, like that whole husband wife thing, you know. Yeah, I understand why some people say it, but once again, it's this whole thing of because of how the business works as far as Marvel and DC go, in these we have rules, but we don't really have rules. So whatever.
0: Right. But, you know, this is it, it sort of like it gets in my craw about, uh, you know, the ethics in comic books and ethics in journalism and all those stuff, because I'm like, OK, you, you guys bring this stuff up as if there was favoritism because people were dating or people got married or whatever. And I'm like, if that is literally your social system, it, you know, is all surrounded by your job and you go to conventions and that's where you meet people. Chances are the person you're going to meet and connect with and have a relationship with is going to be someone else from the business. You know, so it, it would, you know, it, I guess it's different if you go off and you have a day job and you're meeting other people there or if you're, you know, you have some other sports activity and you go and you meet people there. But it's like I meet people at comic book shows. Right. Where else you know, where else am I going to meet them? Is somebody ever going to accuse me someday of being unethical because I dated people in the industry? It's like it's just, I can't possibly even. I'm, like my head will explode if somebody ever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I understand. Trust me, I understand. And, and like, I mean, like I think for me, the biggest problem is, is that the business is such a non, non. It's non-explanatory. You know what I mean? So much of the business is non-explanatory, where things really should be explained. Not everything, but, you know, a good amount of it should be explained. So, you know, we all have a better understanding of how it truly works. Like, I know how a lot of it works. You know what I mean? Like, I do. I know how a lot of it works because I've, I've been entrenched in it for so long. But,
0: uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. A little, yeah, a little bit of transparency.
1: Yes, yes. That's, that's yeah. what I was looking for. Thank you. Thank you so much. Transparency. Yes.
0: So before I let you go, so I want to know, you know, we talked about characters uh, and whether or not you relate to them and the fact that you went off and and created some. Um, So are there other actual mentors in the industry that you have that, um, you know, have either just, like, encouraged you, helped you, or that, you know, people, even if you've never even met some people that you you look up to as motivating and inspirational
1: oh yeah definitely um you know like i'll, I'll i can name off a few like uh, i know i've known steve steve bryant for years and I'm- and steve has been steve has been a really good dude he's been you know really honest with me about stuff he's you know he's, he's given me a lot of insight on the game and so is jamal you know like I you know like i said i consider jamal family you know i've known like you know ever since i met him at pittsburgh all those years ago. Like, remember that night, that, that night at Pittsburgh? It was me, you, Jamal, um, and, like, CGS crew and a couple other people. We went to that Mexican restaurant. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah
0: there was, like, a dozen of us.
1: Yeah, yeah I, think, I think Donnie was there, too. Like, um, that was, like, the first weekend I ever met Jamal, and he was the coolest dude. And, um, you know, we, and we stayed really good friends. But he's taught me a lot, too. Um, Alex DeCampi, um, she's been more than kind. Um, and more than insightful. Um let's see who else let me let me think. I got I gotta think. Give me a moment. So some it's so many people. Like, you know, Jules Jules Rivera, um, Mike Norton, um, you know, Mar Martheis Wade, um like um even like you know and I'll be honest with you, like probably one of the biggest mentors because sometimes a mentor can just be a person that like really just like outside of just comics itself, but, like, really puts you in touch with life in general, um, is, is my friend Julian. Um, Julian, like, people, I think some people really fail to understand how creative Julian is. Um, Julian Lytle. Yes, Julian Lytle. Yes, yes.
0: Julian. Oh, he, he is. He is the most zen person I think I've ever met. Like, he they just get around his energy. Mm-hmm. Him and Vallejo, they're like, I go around them, either of them, and I'm just like, you just feel different.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, um, but like, you know, he's really been, he's been a wonderful, like for me, he's been a wonderful mentor and he's also been a wonderful friend and, um, you know, some real like life changing stuff. And so I'm, I'm thankful to those cats and also Daryl Banks. Um, I met Daryl Banks like back in 2007, either 2006 or 2007. I met him at a show. This is before I was about to start really creating comic books and, and whatnot. And he just sat and he talked with me for like about 10, 15 minutes. I remember I bought a print from him and um, we talked for a while. But like ever since then, I always see him and I'm like, well, hey, this is what I'm doing now. This is what I'm doing now. And this is what I'm doing now. And um, but he's always been very supportive. But um but like, yeah, those cats, those cats have, um, you know, have really been true, like true mentors to me. And so I'm, I'm thankful for it. And I know there's plenty more. There are plenty more. I just can't name them all because I can't think of them because I still haven't had anything to eat yet, and I'm getting lightheaded. <laughs>
0: oh, my goodness, my goodness. Yeah, um, awesome. Well, I, I won't keep you, but definitely, guys, we mentioned Julian Lytle. He does uh, the webcomic called Ants, which gets, like, really, uh, it's a strange world of ants that are, have a big social political system. <laughs> if like, something's going on in the news, he will somehow transform. Into this web comic, Um, Steve Bryant uh, creates Athena Voltaire. So um, that there's always news about because he's making some new stuff. He had a great successful Kickstarter for that. Um, Yeah, so there's a lot going on. Um, Like I said, Mike Norton just had big announcements. He's plus you know Revival. He and Tim Seeley have been you know just nailing it with Revival Mm -hmm. for years. So good stuff. Good stuff is out there. All right, Sean, where can people find out more about you and Cash and Carrie and Julie Speziani and Penny? Yeah, sure.
1: Um, The best place is Twitter, always. You can find me at Sean, S-H-A-W-N, R, Pryor, P-R-Y-O-R, at Sean R. Pryor. You can find Julie Speziani at G. Speziani, G-S-P-E-Z-I, A-N-I, and you can find Penny at at uh, Penny Loafing, P-N-P-E-N-N-Y-L-O-A-F-I-N-G. You can find us all there. Um, The studio, Crown Taker Studios, that's my little studio. Uh, You can find a little bit of information on Cash and Carry there. I'm in the midst of, you know, putting more content on the site. Please be patient with me. Um, But you can find out more at Crown Taker Studios. But uh, normally, nine times out of ten, if you want to know more about what I do, just go, to my Twitter, just go to my Twitter page. And also do a podcast, The Black Box Still Running Strong. You can find that at hhwlod.com.
0: Wonderful. Yeah, it's a great network of, of people over there um, that do, you know, the whole podcast network.
1: Yes, and, and, and Amber, and thank you. And seriously, thank you again for um, allowing me to have, you know, be, on, be a part of your platform today and, um, and, you know, allowing me to be on your show. It really means a lot to me, seriously
0: man Sean I'm you know like I said I, I'm, I knew I would miss you and you know not, uh, with uh, not doing as many conventions either of us you know it's like I miss seeing you but mm-hmm. you know you're important and you know you really matter to me so I just I was so excited to see that you had new work and new vibrancy and new vitality
1: <laughs> well thank you thank you Amber it means a lot to me seriously it really does you're absolutely sweet on so thank you
0: you're welcome all right, guys. Well, we're going to wrap it up. Check out Sean Pryor and uh, Cash and Carry. Stay uh, you know, in touch with him to find out more information about that and other projects. You can follow me on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber. And don't forget, you can sponsor AmberUnmasked.com and Vodka O'Clock just by going to Patreon.com slash So thanks for listening, everybody. Cheers.